name is Ross. Welcome to Centennial Church. Uh, as a church family, our theme this year in 2017 is read the word and share the word. Okay, we've got a Bible reading plan on our app, on our website. I want you to know about that. But we also want to share the word. And one of the best times and the best ways to share the word uh, is, guess what? Easter. And that's coming up. So I just want to remind you of that. We've got invite cards out at the Connection Center. We'll have some stuff on social media that you can share. So just want to remind you about that. Heard a great encouraging story just before the service about someone that's been praying for their person, about who they're going to pray for, care for, and, and share with this year. Very encouraging. So I continue to keep that before you and uh, ask you to read the word and pray the word. Uh, read the word and share the word. You can pray the word too. Uh, that, that's actually a good thing. A uh, few family updates before we open up God's Word. Uh, many of you know Deanna Sarsfield, and I always point down here to the first row because Deanna always sits on the first row. Um, she has been in the hospital since Thanksgiving, uh, brain injury. She's coming up this way either today or sometime this week. going to be at a rehab facility in Anna, Texas, which means you have no excuse to go see her and bring her junk food, she says, Okay. So that's a huge praise. Other family needs, and, and I do want us to pray specifically for these in just a minute. Todd and Shelly Terrell. Uh, Todd is faithful in our booth back there. Shelly is usually right down here uh, on the first row as well. Actually, this semester teaching uh, our first graders, which is a service to be admired, um, particularly when one of them is my son. Uh, Shelly's uh, and Todd's brother-in-law, tragically this week, took his life. Um, he's an ex-Marine. He's been through a lot, and um, in Todd's words, just lost it. Um, the backstory of that is about a year ago, we've been praying for Kara, his uh, wife, who received a bone marrow transplant from Shelly. So she's been fighting uh, that, and now this loss in Shelly and, and uh, Todd are in uh, San Antonio this morning, so I told them we would be in prayer for them. Uh, there are other needs to... Um, Wes Stalkup, many of you were praying for Wes. Wes had an examination. It was feeling some, some heart issues, went in, got examined, which is very rare for him, says his wife. Uh, but he went in, thankfully, and they had an appointment on Wednesday, and they said, you know what? We're going to keep you here uh, because you have 95% blockage in several places, and we're going to do about five bypasses. And so that was scheduled for Thursday. Uh, they actually ended up doing four bypasses. He's recovering well, um, and so uh, Becky is taking care of him. Uh, just check in on them. Those of you who know them, send them a text, send them a message, and keep them in your prayers. And just also, uh, just this week, um, hard stuff. I uh, spoke with two of you uh, this week, two, two ladies this week, actually, that just um, chronic pain, chronic pain, um, depression, tough to get out of bed, um, Life's tough, and life sometimes hurts, and uh, let's keep one another in prayer uh, in the difficulty. Um, would you join me in just lifting these needs up, and then we'll, we'll open God's Word. Good Father, we again come to you in the name of Jesus, because uh, Jesus is the only hope that we know of. And God, we come to you this morning so aware of our sin, so aware of the brokenness of this world, and we just, we cry out, 
cry out and say, help us, God. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to every heart among us. We pray that you would minister to to the Terrells, to Kara in this loss. Pray that you would comfort the stall cups, and we thank you for the proactive work here and the the beauty of science and what doctors are able to do. And God, thank you for that relief. We pray not only for broken hearts and malfunctioning hearts, but um, hearts that are hurting and hearts that are sad and depressed and bones that continually ache and make it hard to come to church. God, please um, comfort us. And, and God, again, we just we come to you as the healer, the physician, the creator. And God, uh, most thankful that you have promised in your word and through Jesus to make all things new. And God, we just, we just know of no other hope. And so we thank you so much for Jesus who has saved us from our sins, who promises to heal our bodies and to make all things right in a new heaven and a new earth. So we we cry out, and we cry out also, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Hey, raise your hand uh, this morning if uh, you got some hail damage this week. Wow. Wow. Raise your hand if you're an insurance agent. Okay? I know. Yeah, there's one right there. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. We got some hail damage at our house this week, and uh, it was pretty bad. I've never, I've never been in the midst of a storm like that. Um, but there was bad news and good news. I told Elizabeth on, uh, on Monday morning, I, I said, well, the bad news is the car got hit pretty bad. But the good news is we have a 2003 Toyota Camry with 220,000 miles on it that we're going to drive into the ground, and I didn't drop comprehensive coverage, so we're going to get a nice check. Uh, Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, You've probably heard before uh, stories and and perhaps even jokes that we've put together Bad news and good news, right? A guy walks into the, the doctor's office and the doctor says, uh, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And the patient says, well, well, give me the good news first. And the doctor says, well, the good news is you have about 24 hours to live. And the guy says, good news? What, how in the world is that good news? Well, what's the bad news then? And the doctor says, well, the bad news is I've been trying to get a hold of you since yesterday. Womp womp. So here's another one. Okay, here's another one. The, uh, the good news is Hillary lost. The bad news is Trump won. Okay, and that was not mine. Okay, I don't email me. Okay, uh, that was not mine. Don't interpret that. Okay, uh, kids, we, you know, we've even done this as kids, as teenagers. Uh, young folks, you may, you may try this in the future, but you come up to your parents and to kind of soften the blow, you, you start with the bad news first and, and you say, mom, dad, I've got some bad news uh, and the bad news is I dropped out of college. Okay, but the good news is I'm saving you a lot of money. Maybe saving you a lot of money. Uh, oftentimes, this, this is the way we operate, right? We share the bad news in preparation for the good news. And guess what? That is what the Apostle Paul is doing 
in the book of Romans. That's what he's been doing as, as, we've, as we've gone through this book. We've seen in the first three chapters that uh, he is really emphasizing the bad news. And this is week number six of our study in Romans. And uh, honestly, for the last four weeks, we've been looking at bad news. And uh, Paul is just leveling us by our sin. He, he starts out with pagan Gentile sinners, and he says, you guys are in, in, in judgment. You guys deserve God's wrath. And then he moves on to the self-righteous religious people, and he said, you guys have some bad news too, because guess what? You, you think you're all good, and you think you can look down at the Gentiles, and you think you've got your stuff together, but guess what? Your religiosity stinks. It will never uh, get you favor before me. It will never give you the status or the uh, favor of God that you think it does. And so honestly, from chapter 1, verse 18, to where we were last week, chapter 3, verse 20, Paul has been saying, bad news, bad news, bad news. And he's setting us up for the good news. And guess what? Today, thankfully, we get to the very good news. The very good news. So we're going to uh, read that this morning, and I'd ask Bob Cox, one of our elders, to read the passage for us, and again, pray for us as we look into God's Word. But I'm going to ask you to get out your device, stand uh, with Bob, and read along with us as we uh, hear from God's Word, okay? That whatever the law says... It speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you and your Holy Spirit to help us hear your truth today. Lord, let us... Uh, we ask you to calm our hearts and our minds from those things around us, things that tend to distract, and that you would uh, rebuke the enemy, keep him away from us so that we could focus on what you want to speak to us today. Lord, change our hearts and our minds. Help us to 
focus on Jesus. We thank you so much for the righteousness that comes by faith. We thank you for the relationship we have as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Bob. You can be seated. So Bob backed up uh, and gave us verse 19 and 20, which serves as, as the transition from where we were last week to where we began this week. I just want to remind you, last week I shared with you a kind of simple outline for the book of Romans uh, by a, a Bible teacher named Warren Wearsby, and I, I love this outline. It's just five S words. If you can remember this, you can remember the whole story, basically the big idea of Romans. But the, as we said earlier, the first part of Romans, he's talking about sin, Righteousness needed. There's some good news up here in the first 17 verses, but the last four weeks, we've been right in here talking about sin. And as I said before, we last week, chapter 3, verse 9, uh, one of the key verses there in verse 9, it says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And so he's been making this case, and then this week we get to part 2. Uh, of Romans, which is salvation, which is, begins with this hinge verse here, uh, 21 of chapter 3. And we'll be talking about salvation all the way through chapter 5. And then we get into sanctification, sovereignty, and then service. Again, Romans 12, 1 is this hinge verse in the book of Romans where he says, Now you've heard about the mercies and the grace of God. Well, now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Respond to the grace that you've received. So that's a, a great little outline of the book of Romans. Sin, salvation, sanctification. We'll get to sanctification in, uh, in May or so. We'll get to sovereignty after we take a little uh, summer break. We'll come back to that in the fall and then service um, later in the fall, beginning in chapter 12. So nice little outline. So here we are today in uh, verse 21, which is the hinge verse. But again, as I said uh, and Bob read, it comes on the heels of 19 and 20. So look again with me at what we looked at last week. Verse 19 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Why? Purpose statement, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And last week, the title of the sermon was Every Mouth Shut. And the purpose of the law and the purpose of Paul's argument up until this point was to say the law was to get you to shut your mouth. And as our children do, uh, quit making excuses. Not just as our children do, but as we do, right? Uh, there's a lot of confusion often about, uh, not only in church life, but also in the secular world, what, what's the point of God's law? What's the point of the Old Testament? And oftentimes, people, even Bible-believing Christians, believe that the law was given Kind of in the Old Testament, God has his rules, he has his law, and in the Old Testament, you obey those laws and you're saved. But then in the New Testament, Jesus comes and everything gets nice and there's grace and faith, and now you're saved by grace through faith. Wrong. You're always saved by grace through faith, even in the Old Testament. What the law was given for, according to verses 19 and 20 here, was, was simply this, to show you a mirror and to show you a standard, if you will, that you fall short. You, 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 because you have the law, you are now guilty because you know the law, okay? It's like the illustration I used last week. I drive down Coit, and all of a sudden, I see this, the speed limit sign that says 55, and all of a sudden, I'm like, uh-oh, slow down. And if I see a guy ahead about 50 yards with lights, I really slow down, right? The law shows me my guilt. It shows me the standard. But what is the law powerless to do? The law is powerless to change my heart. 
the speed limit sign will never make me want to obey. It will simply show me my guilt. And that's what he said. The purpose of the Old Testament law was to shut our mouths. So we would fall down guilty on our face and realize we need some grace. We need some forgiveness. And we see in this passage today that God provides the grace. God provides our salvation. So that's the purpose of the law. Look at verse 20. For by works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law wasn't given to save us. The law was given to show us our guilt, or as it says elsewhere in the scriptures, to be a tutor to lead us to Christ. One of the passages I often go to when I talk to people about this, jot this down if you want to, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, the first four verses. What's the law's purpose, right? In that passage, it says it's, it's a shadow of the things to come. Uh, the sacrifices remind us that we need a Savior, that we're sinners and that we need a Savior, okay? The law was not given to save us. The law was given to show us, hey, guess what? You fall short of God's standard. But then the good news comes. The good news in uh, verse 21 Contrast, it begins, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. But then parenthesis here, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Okay? Now the righteousness of God has been manifested, or you might uh, say revealed. Okay? The righteousness of God has been revealed. We have to ask the question, what is the righteousness of God? And he alluded to the righteousness of God in the previous part that we looked at a little bit. But really right here in verse 21, he's hearkening back to chapter 1, verse 17. Flip there with me. The, the verse that I've asked you to memorize uh, is, is verse 16. But look at verse 16 and 17 with me here, okay? Little review. He says, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I think every Christian ought to have that verse memorized. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel means good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the good news, power of God for salvation. To whom? To everyone who believes, right? For salvation to everyone who believes, and then historically to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But look at verse 17. He gets this word. We go back to this word, righteousness, which is a key word in Romans. Verse 17, explanation. The good news is the power of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed, manifested, you might say. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, excuse me, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we have to ask the question, what is the righteousness of God? And you might be tempted to say, as many have, is the righteousness of God is the character of God. It's an attribute of God, and it is an attribute of God. But it's also an activity of God whereby he makes us righteous. Okay, so here's the deal. History lesson. 500 years ago, the Protestant Reformation was birthed, 1517. Guys like Martin Luther, John Calvin, okay, other reformers. This is the 500-year anniversary of this Protestant Reformation, which we are proudly a part of. Martin Luther, as he read the book of Romans, and Martin Luther was a monk. He, he, he studied the scripture. He was trying to be a holy man. Let me read to you Martin Luther's words about the righteousness of God. Okay, this is Luther himself. Uh, Luther was a German monk. He had been taught that the law okay, required him 
to live a righteous life in order to be saved. Here's, here's Luther's own words as he writes about the book of Romans. He says, I labored diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul, Paul's words, the expression, the righteousness of God blocked the way because I took it to mean the righteous, that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, therefore I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Then I grasped that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us by faith. He realized the true meaning of the righteousness of God. He goes on and says, Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. I broke through, and as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now began to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word. That happened as Martin Luther read Romans 1, 16, and 17. The righteousness of God, again, here in verse 21. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How is that righteousness of God manifested? Through faith in Jesus Christ. In my Bible here, I've, I've circled every place that it says faith or believe in this passage. How does that righteousness come to us? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to explain more. For all who believe. And here again, we see the same thing that we saw in chapter 1, verse 16. We see both the exclusivity as well as the inclusivity of Christianity. The exclusivity as well as the inclusivity of Jesus Christ. What do I mean here? I mean, who, who, who can have a relationship with Christ? All. Everyone. It's open to everyone. It's for all. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone. But th that's the inclusivity, but then the exclusivity for all who believe, right? It says for all who believe in verse 22. The good news is both inclusive and exclusive. It's inclusive in the sense it's for everyone. It's for all nations. It's for every people. It's for every different tribe. It's for every different type of sinner. It's for everyone. For God so loved the world, the world, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's inclusive, but it's also exclusive because it requires us to trust God, to say, I believe, to fall down, leveled, guilty at the cross, and to say, I can't do anything on my own. All I can do is bring my sin, but I believe. And at that point, you are given salvation, and you are raised up from, your, from falling on your face as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. It's exclusive as well as inclusive. It's for you. If you are here this morning, Jesus Christ came for sinners. He came for you. And it's not by attending church. It's not by your good works. It's not by any merit of your own. It's simply by grace 
through faith for those who know they're guilty and will receive his grace, his salvation. He goes on, verse 23. I need to, I need to emphasize this in verse 23. Look at verse 23. It says, uh, he ends, uh, God, uh, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. In verse 23, we quote this often if you have shared the gospel with people or if you've heard the gospel presented. Verse 23, very popular verse in Romans says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How inclusive is that? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now let me clarify something. Oftentimes, I hear people quote this verse or read this verse incorrectly. Notice the verb tense in verse 23. What's the first verb tense? It says, for all have sinned. Remember your grammar? What verb tense is that? That's past tense. For all have sinned. Okay, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'll admit it. I did some stuff, you know, when I was a really little kid or maybe last week, okay? But it's in the past. For all have sinned, but he goes on. What's the verse, the the next verb tense? For all have sinned and fall. And that is even more clear in the Greek language, this present tense. It's ongoing. For all have sinned, past, and sinned continually. Today, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He goes on, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. We'll have to define that in a second. At, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to, re, to be received, again, by faith. Circle, by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, there it is again, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just, so that he might be, excuse me, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In verse 24 and 25, Paul is, he's really brilliant here in the way he presents this to this audience, a Roman church, but he presents it using three key terms, three illustrations, if you will. And those key terms, you see them there in verses uh, 24 and 25. The first one is justified. The second one is redemption. And the third one is propitiation. Propitiation. So we need to talk about all three of these illustrations that Paul gives us. The first one is justification. Verse 24, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. You might underline again, gift. So this word we need to talk about is justification. What does justification mean? Well, Paul here is giving us a legal term. Justification means it refers to the divine act whereby God declares humans who are sinful and therefore worthy of condemnation acceptable before God who is holy and righteous on the basis of Christ's work on their behalf. Notice also that it's a declaration. This is a legal term. He's using language from the courtroom where he says, everyone's guilty. We've established that. Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.20, all have sinned. But by God's grace, he justifies us by declaring us righteous, by saying, not guilty. Even though you are guilty, even though you deserve punishment, even though you are on your face flat, guilty before God, I am going to justify you. Look at Galatians 3.8, just quickly here with me. This is not on the screen, but I'll read it to you quickly here. Galatians 
And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. We're going to see when we get to chapter 4 that Abraham also saved by faith, declared righteous by grace through faith. That's what all of Romans chapter 4 is about. So the first term, he borrows from the legal world and says we are justified by Christ. The second term that he gives us is redemption. Redemption. And this term is borrowed from the marketplace. Redemption is the process by which sinful humans are bought back. This is a business term. Redemption is the process by which sinful humans are bought back from the bondage of sin into relationship with God through grace by payment of Jesus' death. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1, 30, 31. I'll read it for you. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. There it is. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now that, right there in 1 Corinthians, is going to sound very similar to what Paul is going to say beginning in verse 27 and on. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So this is a business illustration. He's, he's talking the legal speak here, and here he gets to the, to the marketplace. He gets to use a business term. And the idea here in the first century, the idea of redemption dealt primarily, it was multifaceted, but most commonly the idea of buying a slave. You would go to a marketplace and you would redeem, you would purchase a slave out of bondage. That slave might then come to be in bondage to you, but you would redeem, you would buy that person. And what Paul is saying here, what the scriptures are teaching us is that God declares us righteous and he also buys us back. He purchased us. He bought us. Application here. You belong to God. I belong to God two times. Why? Because he created you, and what you create belongs to you, right? You make a piece of furniture, you build something, you created it. It's yours. It belongs to you. The scriptures are telling us God created you. Not only did he create you, but you wandered away from you, and he went and he bought you back. You belong to him. The third illustration that he gives us is that one that's hard to say. Everyone say it with me. Propitiation. Propitiation. Yeah, that was very weak. Your repeating was very weak. Okay? If you have the NIV, it probably uh, lightened this up a little bit and says sacrifice of atonement. Okay? This is an old King James word here, propitiation. And the idea, the definition of propitiation, and this is a religious term. This comes from uh, Roman and Greek temples, and you would make sacrifices, right? Propitiation, sacrifices to do what? To appease the gods. 
Something bad happens in your family. Someone dies in your family. So you go to the temples, these pagan temples, and you make a sacrifice. And you might make all sorts of them, whether it's incense or grain or sacrifice an animal or whatever, to appease that God. And you might not know which God you've appeased, so you make a bunch of different ones just to kind of cover your bases, right? So Paul here is saying from the religious world that God, has it's an offering that turns away the wrath of God directed against sin. 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10. I think I can do this one from memory, but um, as I find 1 John. In this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you have the NIV, it says, for in this is love, not that we love God, that, that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfactory payment for our sins propitiation. Now here, folks, is the beautiful part about this. Another beautiful part about this. What happened in the pagan world with these sacrifices? Or let me ask it like this. Who brought the sacrifice? The one who had offended the gods. But folks, the good news in Christ, the good news is the, in the gospel is, get this, who brings the sacrifice? God, the one who was offended, brings the sacrifice and, get this, appeases himself. The one who deserves the payment makes the payment himself. The one who is owed makes the payment. God is the buyer. God is the purchaser. God is the sacrifice. And God appeases or satisfies himself. What does this mean? This means, folks, that you can't satisfy God. God has satisfied himself on your behalf. And let's just tease that out for a minute. In a, in a, in a culture of self-esteem, and performance and appeasing other people and people pleasing. Let see the beauty of this. God is telling us, I've declared you righteous. I've bought you. You're so dear to me. You're of such value to me that I created you and I bought you back and I've made the payment. I've appeased myself. I went to Dallas Seminary, and there's, there's this story at Dallas Seminary. The founder of Dallas Seminary was a guy named Lewis Ferry Chafer. And this is in the 1920s. But the story is told that Dr. Chafer, and Bob is nodding his head over here because he's probably heard this, but Dr. Chafer would sit at his, you know, you picture this old guy at his lectern, and that he would tell his students, who at that point were only men, he would talk about propitiation, and he would talk about the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he would bang that pulpit and he would say, men, God is satisfied. Men, God is satisfied. There is nothing that you can do to satisfy him. There is nothing you can do to disearn his love. Men, God is satisfied. The one who is owed the payment 
the one who is worthy of the sacrifice, made the sacrifice for us, became the sacrifice for us in Jesus. Last week, I uh, spent a few days in Oklahoma and uh, was doing some studying, let the kids spend some time with grandparents. I was able to to connect with some mentors as well as some old buddies. And one uh, particular buddy, a guy that I've known since we played uh, Little League together, graduated high school together, college roommates, fraternity brothers, uh, Jay. I was catching up with Jay at Panera Bread, and we were just talking and catching up on life and uh, just seeing how each other were doing, families, jobs, uh, all that stuff. And and I told Jay, I said, uh, you know, I've really dropped the ball on my January New Year's resolution. The 10 pounds has not been lost. I have just blown it, blown it. And I said, you know, I, I really need to do something. I was starting to ride my bike, but it's just a mountain bike around the neighborhood. And I really am thinking about getting a road bike. And at the end of lunch, after we've had this wonderful catch-up, my buddy Jay says, hey, can I give you my bike? I've got a new one. You want my old bike? And I said, yeah, man, that would be great. And so guess what I did? How do you think I got that bike? I went over to his house, and I picked up the bike, and we put it in my dad's truck, and I took it home. And guess how much I paid for it? Zilch. He gave me the bike. What happened? I expressed my need, and Jay expressed grace and gave me the gift. So now, if you see some little guy riding a bike down Coit, who looks a little out of shape and is huffing and puffing and he's not wearing those ridiculous spandex that everybody else has on. Um, Don't honk your horn, okay, because I'll fall over or something. And Holt's over here. He rode 65 miles yesterday. I said, dude, I'm never riding a bike with you, okay? Just, I don't know anything about riding a bike. Yeah, I do. I mean, it's just like riding a bike, right? But no, I went into Richardson Bike Mark, and it's this whole new world. It's this whole new subculture. It's like going into Babies R Us, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know this world existed. You know, look at all this. And it's this whole little subculture of groupies, and they've got their words and their lingo, and it's this little subculture in, inside uh, the wider culture that I knew nothing about, next to nothing about. I mean, my experience with bike ri- riding kind of goes like this, you know. Hey, get off the street. You know, ride your bike somewhere else. This is for cars. You know, that, that's my experience with biking, you know. What does this have to do? Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says this. What, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith, verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Where's the boasting? It's gone. What can I boast about? I was given a bike. I can boast about the bike. I can boast about Jay. But all I did 
is express my need and then receive a gift. And what makes this story even one step better is that last week was Jay's birthday. It was his birthday. And I told him, I said, you should be getting the gift, not giving the gift. Isn't that beautiful? Because folks, that's what has happened in the gospel. The one who should receive the gift has given the gift. The one that should receive the sacrifice has become the sacrifice. Debtors are released of their debts. The king who should be served served the servants. That's good news. You can never appease God, but God has satisfied himself in Jesus. And all we have to do is step out and say, thank you. That is good news. To get in here and to share out there. You bow your heads with me. Hey, that's good news to believe, and that's good news to celebrate. And we're going to celebrate that good news right now through uh, observing it, through remembering it, through communion. But I want to again offer the opportunity. Maybe you are here this morning, and you thought you were a pretty decent person. And you thought you were more upright and ethical and moral than your neighbors and the people that you work with or whatever. The good news is this. God has done everything to satisfy himself in Jesus. And all you have to do is trust in Jesus and receive him. Father God, I come to you this morning and I ask you to forgive me of my sins through Jesus. Father God, give me the Holy Spirit as I trust in you and help me to live and walk in a relationship with you. Jesus, thank you for coming for me, dying on the cross for me, defeating that sin and death through your resurrection and giving me the Holy Spirit right now. If that's a desire of your heart, if you said thank you this morning to God's grace, please share it with someone. If you've received that grace before, I want you to come this morning to the table, to the bread and the cup, and be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. He's provided his body and his blood. He's made the payment. He's satisfied himself. And the scriptures say this, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this. Receive this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. Help us to follow you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. I invite you to come and celebrate.